350 artists as tenants, so all they do is lie to me. <laughs> all the time. Like, I literally have a person moving out right now who's been pretending they were going to pay the rent for the past couple of days and living in their unit, and now I'm like, dude, it's the 7th. Like, put up or shut up, and now he's yelling at me because I'm being a dick. And he's like, I'm packing it all up, man. I'm out of here. And I'm like, well, then why did you tell me yesterday you were going to... Oh, forget it. Just <laughs> forget it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah. So, I feel you. Yeah. So, can we use that part or no? You can use it. You can use it all. <laughs> I didn't use any names. <laughs> Jeffrey. Yeah. No. It's all good. <laughs> I, mean, I know you so well, man. I'm so happy to have you here and talk about uh, your... Uh, well, how you just don't give a fuck about what the city thinks and you're doing what you're doing. You guys love that. You developers fucking love that. You it's think crazy. it's hilarious. It's crazy. Man. It uh, is. So here's the deal. I am was in California for 15 years, right? Like you've heard this story, but I'll say it for your wonderful audience out there. So I was in California for 15 years and was part of the punk rock DIY community in California. And it wasn't even a... It wasn't even a question of whether you're going to get a permit or not. Like the whole option didn't even exist. When you're opening clubs or everything, like, you're doing like everything, just you're doing a party. Like I worked for the SF Weekly for about three years, so I did. I shot photos for them, and uh, part of my deal was I did this nightlife column, which was that we went to all these different events all over the place. Everything, um, you know, the pride parades or whatever. Like there was like this big scavenger hunt. There was a lot of cacophony society events. There was a lot of just stuff going on. Survival research laboratories. There was all of these things. What all is cacophony society? Cacophony was this great organization that was pre-internet where um, they would put on these wacky events. So like I did urban golfing with them. So we got wiffle balls and there was different holes all over the San Francisco. And San Francisco was the golf course. So we just golfed through San Francisco with golf clubs. So we all had golf clubs and we all dressed in golf outfits and then we golfed through San Francisco and people lost their minds because you're golfing down Market Street with wiffle balls. But hurting but they, nothing. Hurting nothing and they don't know their wiffle balls. Yeah. Like Cacophony Society started SantaCon. So I was at the very first SantaCon. Do you know what SantaCon is? No. SantaCon's where uh, all these people, it's international now, but it started in San Francisco. And so it was everyone dresses up like Santa Claus over Christmas and just kind of goes on this route through town. And, you know, like Coffee Society started that. It was culture jamming. So it was a lot of like doing things that were weird for the sake of doing them. I did a Cacophony Society event in LA where they set up all these couches. That looks yeah, so there, that's Santa Con. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was at the first one and they sung um, Santa in effigy and they we paraded through Neiman Marcus shelling, chanting, charge it, charge it. And so... That was the cacophony side. That's where it all came from. There was one in LA where they um, we set up couches and fishing rods, and it was during the LA Marathon. And so we gave uh, put donuts on the end of the fishing rods and tried to fish in the some of the marathon runners. And then if they did come in, they got free lap dances. So we had all these strippers there, which was fun. There was another one um, where they we set up all these balloons and all these lights on this kind of like just giant mess, and then we put it above the uh, Silver Lake Reservoir. And then we position ourselves around the reservoir and just grab people and just said, hey man, do you see that? Is that a UFO? No way. And people were just, it was, anyways, this was all pre-internet and stuff like that. So it was fun. 
nobody got a permit for any of this. It was yeah. never a question of whether, like, oh, we better go talk to the city before we put 500 people. There was one cacophony of, well, it wasn't even a cacophony event. Everybody at the end of the season would bring all their Christmas trees out to Sunset Beach in San Francisco and light them all on fire. And so hundreds of people would be kind of sneaking around Sunset. And then at the designated time, we would all run out with our Christmas trees and pile them in this big pile and light it on fire. And nobody was like, oh, is this illegal? Is this bad? So I took that and came here. And so when I got here, it made zero sense to me that all of these people were asking for permission. Like I couldn't figure it out. The American in me just didn't get it. Right. And so all these things weren't happening because people were like, oh, you know, I wanted to do whatever it was, you know, like set up couches and have strippers during the Vancouver Marathon, but the city said I couldn't do it, so I didn't do it. And I was just like, well, why'd you ask? So that's where I came from. That was my culture. So it made a lot of sense when I started doing it here. And in San Francisco, too, there was tons and tons of empty spaces that were being used as artist spaces or live venues or whatever, and no one was going and getting a permit. So when I came here and started doing it, it never occurred to me that I needed to talk to the city. And then... Once the city started talking to me and I was like, oh, you want me to do something? And for some things you need to talk to the city, like, you know, for the rickshaw or for a restaurant, you have to. But you only have to talk to them a little bit. You don't have to talk to them a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's how it all started. <laughs> so to you, it's just normal. To me, it was just normal. Yeah. And it still doesn't make any sense. Like Canadians are, Vancouverites are very rule abiding. We like lines we like rules we like to be told everything's okay um very very like you know vancouverites like you know like they're not gonna be the first person to hoop and holler we take up very little space you know when americans take up a lot more space so you say vancouverites you mean canadians you think no i mean vancouverites really my experience with people from toronto and montreal they're a little more ballsy oh than yeah vancouverites um but yeah that Same. was my experience here is that people just like when I started doing the artist space thing, I had this warehouse in Yaletown. When I first moved here, I was doing an importing company. I was importing furniture from India. And uh, I had set up a store in Yaletown when Yaletown was just before all the craziness happened. So this is like 2004, right? And um, I needed a warehouse. So there was this space that was right on, what was it? It was right at the edge of Yaletown on, God, I want to say it was on Helmican. Anyways, it was the bottom floor of this apartment building. And so it was like 5,000 square feet and I rented out for two grand. So I had this huge empty space and it was month to month. And once I closed my furniture store, um, I had this empty space. So I rented out to these buddies of mine, they were artists. And so I kind of got the idea there. And then when I did the narrow on main and third, the whole upstairs was empty. And so I, I kind of did the same thing there. And, um, and yeah, it just was like, oh, the space is empty, so I'll just rent it out to whoever. It never occurred to me that I needed to go to the city yeah. and say, hey, I want to rent this out to artists. Like It was yeah. just like, oh, the space is empty, I'll just rent it out. Yeah. And were they working in there or displaying art for sale? They were working in there. Oh, yeah. So there was artist workspaces. So that's when I started doing all that, right? And you've been doing it ever since. And I've done it ever since. So I've done like 14 different buildings. Uh, the biggest one is city center, which I just did now. Um, the city got involved at some point. I've involved the city at certain points um, and had conversations with them and tried. Cause once, you know, like everybody, you want to do things legit. Like it'd be nice. Cause especially when you're signing long leases, it'd be nice to do that. So I started to involve the city back when the early days of it, but that just went south really quickly. Cause they, 
they really had a lot of difficult times with me. So personally, personally. <laughs> I think personally, maybe they don't also, want to be involved. Maybe they don't want to know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like think about it. Like if you are working at the city and once you know, then you have to govern it. You have to police it. You are, they're accountable. They're liable. They're not liable. Oh, I don't mean legally liable, liable to their boss. Liable in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe they do. Maybe they turn a blind eye. I honestly have no idea if they, like, I'm assuming they know about some of them, but I, I think a lot of my artist buildings, nobody just knows about them. Yeah. City center is so big and so huge that it was impossible to miss. Yeah. That's but, a big one. But, you know, and I've been busted along the way for a couple of them. Right. And, you know, like there's things like the rickshaw. Like when I opened the rickshaw in 2008, they wouldn't give me a liquor license, the city. And so I ran it for three years without a liquor license. And I told the city I was going to do that. Like there was all of this conversation about allowing me to do it. And it wasn't a change of use because it was previously a movie theater changing into a live music venue. And so, you know, I was taught in conversation with them a lot and they didn't want to give me a liquor license because it was going to piss off the nightclub and bar association bar watch. Right. And so they were like, no, you can't have a liquor license. And I was like, well, that's just stupid. How am I going to make any money? And I said that to the head of licensing and she was like, sorry. And I said, well, I'm going to do it anyways. And she was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then she said, I hope you don't, I hope, what did she say? She said, I hope Victoria doesn't find out. Victoria, the city? No, Victoria, like the, the province. person. The, oh, province, the, prov the like, province. She said, basically, I hope the province doesn't find out because oh. they control liquor licenses. Right. And it took them three years. Eventually they found out. They found out. Yeah. And then they shut me down. Well, they tried to shut me down. And then I went back to the city three years later and said, Hey, I just got busted. Yeah. What are you going to do? And they said, we'll give you a liquor license. You're a maverick. I'm a maverick. <laughs> I'm an idiot is what I am. No, you're like a Robin Hood type. Not stealing from the rich, but um, you're providing much needed artist workspace in the city. You know, it's hard for artists to find affordable workspace, places to create their art, isn't it? Well, it is. And the thing is, artists aren't like us. They're not entrepreneurs. So the idea that you would, an artist would rent out 10,000 square feet and then demise it up and be a landlord is just for not most happening. people, not just artists, but for most people, business is beyond their comprehension, right? They want just to do what they do every day. And for you and me, it's not because it's what we do. Right. So yeah, I, I filled a niche with that. Um, and it's my, I mean, all of the things, it's like my community, like it's my friends that I was putting in my first places. Yeah. And so all of that was really an easy thing. Right. But you know, like I'm, I'm not a Robin Hood. I'm making money off this. Yeah. Right. I've just figured out a way to do it. That's ethical, that's safe and that works in the city of Vancouver. Yeah. Right. And I'd love it if other people would do it. Uh, really? Yeah. It'd be amazing. There's like, I have 0% vacancy. Really? If I get an empty space, it rents out in two seconds. I've been trying to convince other people to do this for 15 years. Yeah, that's cool. That's very, uh, very generous of you. Very it, big picture. Is it? Yeah, very cooperative. Usually people that are making money doing something aren't super eager for other people to start doing the same thing. But 0% yeah. vacancy says a lot. Yeah, and I don't believe that. I don't, I think competition is necessary. Mm. I think to make things better. You know, like if you've got like what was happening here in Vancouver back right when I got here, like we had this no fun city label and we'd really earned it. 
Like this place sucked <laughs> so bad. And it was because there were some people that had a monopoly in all the liquor licenses and they were clamping on it and fighting to keep it. Because and, they wanted scarcity. They want to be the only ones. Exactly. Yeah. And they were the only ones. And so that made this scene suck. Yeah, it's bullshit. It is bullshit. And so that's the thing. Like, you know, without healthy competition, yeah. then none of us are going to get better. We just stagnate. It's like the taxi licenses too. That's just, all BS. I hate all that. And you can find a taxi. It costs 250 grand to buy a license. Apparently it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's terrible. You're really, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's corruption. Do you think basically. you don't get busted or don't get in trouble because you're satisfying a real need and like what city official or what elected official wants to be the one to evict? How many tenants do you have at city city motel? hundred. Hundred, yeah. Who wants to come along and evict a hundred local artists from their workspace? I hope no one. Yeah. I really hope. Like this is what I believe too for the past fifteen years, because yeah. I've been doing this fifteen, sixteen years. This is what I've hoped is that if I make my places safe and yeah, I, I think make life them, safety is the only thing that they would care about. I think so. And so I mean, I've been in a lot of artist spaces in this town that life safety isn't as big a priority as is for me. Yeah. Like, you know, to have blocked exits and, you know, no emergency lights and no fire extinguishers and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I hope, like, I believe that I haven't been fucked with just because of exactly that, that it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm filling a need and I hope that's right. I mean, they haven't shut any of my places down yet. I've had building inspectors through and I've had property use inspectors through and I fire department comes through all my spaces once a year, of course, cause they just go door to door. Right. Um, but yeah, I hope so. I hope that's the case. Yeah, me too. Cause you know, and I don't like, I try not to poke them, but it's just hard not to <laughs> cause they, why? Well, because the city does things all the time. That's just every, every couple of years they call me up and they ask me to comment on something. They ask me to like, you know, be part of a board or a panel or a round table. And I just end up yelling at them and it's <laughs> awful. Cause I don't mean to. But it's just like the shit that comes out of their mouths. And it's like, it's like, we've been talking about the same thing for 15 years. And then they'll say something and I'll be like, well, don't you remember 15 years, 12 years ago, 10 years ago when this same thing happened and it turned out, it turned out like this. Right. And then they'll be like, what are you talking about? And I'll be like, well, this is going to turn out the same way. Yeah. And they're just like, well, we think it's going to work. And I'm like, yeah, but it didn't work the past five times. So why is it yeah. going to work now? Do something different. Yeah. And then I get angry. Oh, sounds frustrating. So, so anyways, <laughs> they don't call me that often. Yeah. But you're working on, uh, I guess, Emily Carr. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to take over the old Emily Carr College of Art and Design on Granville Island. big one. How big is that building? It's 120,000 square feet. That'd be the biggest yet. Yeah. That, <laughs> that would be the biggest yet. And I mean, I've been talking to the CMHC for a year and a half about it now. Yeah. And they own it. The CMHC runs the island. The f it runs the island. Yeah. It's run. It's owned by the federal government. So the CMHC runs it. And the people who I've been talking to the CMHC are actually, they were the two guys there were put into the two ones that I'm talking to. They were put there to instigate change and to reanimate the island because it's been going through a lot of struggles over the past 10, 15 years. And so they're awesome and they really want to instigate change. But I think they just... I think I can be a little scary because of my wild cardness and your sleeve tattoos and your anger. Know. Do you think that? <laughs> the anger, I think the anger and the insanity, I think I'm kind of crazy. So I think that doesn't really work well with federal government 
checks and balances and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I think there's a, me giving them a proposal that could make sense, which I, I think I might be capable of doing. I think so. Well, you're the best operator. You get the market. I got the market and I've got the ability. It's so simple for artists. It's month to month. It's all in. It's just really simple for them, right? Yeah. There's no add-ons. This nope. includes. So yeah, that's power. what I do in my spaces is yeah. that I, um, I take over the whole building. So I, I only take leases for whole buildings. So I'll take over the whole building. I'll take the whole building as is where it is, which makes it really easy for developers. And so this is a pitch to all your developer friends who should call me up and give me their building. If they got a building that they got a building. can be used temporarily so even, right? Temporarily for sure. Like I probably wouldn't do anything less than two years, right? Yeah, that's temporary. Which is temporary. So, uh, so I take the whole building as is where is. I don't care what the roof or the boiler and all the rest of that stuff is. And then I just get as long a lease as I possibly can. If there's a demo clause after two or three years, then that's totally fine. I have no problem with it. And then I go and demise it all up and fill it with artists and that's it. And then the landlords just get a check every month and they yeah. don't have to worry about anything. So, you know, some of the developers, the landlords I work with are stoked because their buildings were empty for years. Yeah. Right. And, and they now, don't want to eat the property tax and nope. that's kind of the, yeah, and great. so now I'm filling it and I'm filling this thing. And then if the landlords are smart, like Nicola wealth that took, that I made the deal with at uh, city center, for example, like they knew exactly what they were getting, right? Like they were very savvy business people. And so they saw this as a marketing idea, a marketing thing, right? That they could come in to the community and say, look, we've taken over this building, but we're not being bad operators. We're being good operators and we're filling it with artists. And they, they, I mean, I remember being in meetings and them getting this and knowing that they could leverage it, right? And they are, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I hope that makes whatever applications they're doing to the city better when they come to have to do it, right? That they can point to city center and say, look how we've already made this contribution, Yeah. right? And so, so it was great for them on that, but it was also great for them on a business side too, right? Because they're getting, I mean, I can't talk about how much our arrangement was, but they're getting their property tax plus paid, right? So, you know, in that way, their property tax there, which is public domain is $320,000 a year. So right there, there it's, it's plus for everyone. They're getting a huge chunk of cash paid, right? They're getting good value and good PR. All those artists, those hundred artists have amazing places, right? It's win-win. It really was a great deal. And I'm really glad that they were smart enough to see it, that their yeah, team could see that, right? And what's the deal for the artists? It's a flat rate. It's a flat rate. So that's yeah, the deal. So is I take over the building as is, whereas I demise it up and then the artists just pay a flat. So the, everything's included heat, light, property tax. I, you know, somebody cleans the washrooms, all that kind of stuff, Wi-Fi, so that they don't have to stress. Cause once you start digging into stuff like that with people, it gets complicated. Yeah. Right. Simple. And then generally I don't raise the rent unless my rent gets raised. So yeah. if something happens there, like if I have a bump at some point in my, uh, in my rental agreement, or if I am doing a property tax deal and the property tax goes up, then I'll pass that on to the artists, but yeah. very rarely, like there's just no point. Right. Do you ever, uh, do you always do the murals on the building or was that a, a special thing there? Well, what I did for city center was when I got the deal, I knew this friend of mine, Adrian, who was one of the higher ups at mural fest. And so I called him up when I was making the deal and said, dude, I'm getting this building. It would be great. Cause they do the Vancouver mural fest around that area anyways. Right. And I'd been supporting and involved with that for years. So I called him up and said, Hey, I'm going to get this building. Do you want to help me out? And he was like, yeah. And so I helped him negotiate a deal with Nicola wealth where Nicola wealth supported mural fest in painting the building. 
Cool. Which was really cool yeah. because that just made it. It would have been cool without that, but yeah. having that mural on there. Yeah, so it's awesome. Nicola Wealth came in as a supporter of the, not just the, that building, but of Mural Fest as a whole. And through that, paid for that mural, sponsored that mural. That's cool. Yeah. So how does that work? Like too. they probably paid for the paint and the artist came through the Mural Fest group? Or? They worked exactly. Something. So Nicola Wealth like came on as a sponsor and then from that sponsorship, they got that building plus all the whatever PR they get around it too. I don't know the exact part. Did we talk to them about this building? Was it Mural Fest? Yeah. I think we had a weird experience. It got weird. It got political. Like they had a real, they had, um, I think I got uncomfortable with it when they wanted to decide what the art was going to be on the wall. On this building? On this building. Yeah. We have that huge 70 foot East facing wall there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it, it felt, uh, like we want, there's a process around going to the community and getting everybody's buy-in on what it should be. And being in Gastown with all of the dynamic energy in Gastown, I was, I was afraid that, um, you know, it was going to end up being political and I just didn't want to be political. I just wanted something beautiful to look oh, at. Oh, that their mural? That yeah. The mural, the content of the mural charged, was yeah. going to be something, yeah, charged. And they wouldn't guarantee you that it wasn't? No, I just felt, um, I didn't want to get into a process with the community and then end up being an asshole that was vetoing something I didn't like. 100%. So I just bailed. But. Well, that's a whole other part of our world too, is like, you know, fear of not doing things for getting canceled. Yeah. Which is real. Yeah. 100%. That's what was, yeah. Yeah. I'm a 54 year old white guy creating artist space. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> You're fucking, familiar. Yeah. I'm very familiar. <laughs> Very familiar. So I, I, I hear that and it's a drag that you hesitated on that yeah. because of that fear. But that, I mean, I, I hear that it's real, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I've been canceled a bunch of times. A little Frady cat. Just yeah. didn't want to be that guy. You know, that one that's, we want to paint a, I don't even want to say, but it would be something that if I didn't like it, I was being asshole for not allowing it all of a sudden. To be perfectly honest, Mural Fest probably would have worked with you to try to avoid stuff like that mm. and no cancellation kind of stuff. But it is... It's when you put yourself out there publicly, like you or I do, then, you know, you're open to all of it, right? Yeah. Like my friend Kareen that owns the Rio, she's been through, she gets lambasted. Like she gets fucking destroyed. For what? Anything. Like she did a showing of Deep Throat um, a couple months ago. Just the, for fun? Well, yeah, just for fun. <laughs> just yeah, retro. What, just for fun. <laughs> she did a showing of, like they do awesome shit at the Rio. And so she did Deep Throat and then she had a panel afterwards, which had the director's kids on it and a bunch of activists and a bunch of other porn makers, modern porn makers to talk about Deep Throat and the history of it and its place. Impact, yeah. And she just got destroyed because Lindia Lovelace, there's a whole story with her coming out and being anti-porn and talking about her negative experience in making Deep Throat. And then, you know, she went back to do it. It's, it's a whole long thing yeah. involved, but yeah, there was like, internationally people just calling her a rapist and calling her horrible things and yeah. protesting the Rio. And, and then that happens to her a couple times a year just cause she goes out and does stuff. Right. Crazy. Better not to do anything. Well, that's the thing <laughs> Then you don't do things right. Yeah. And you know, if you're not really doing anything evil, like I said, I've been canceled a couple of times and if you're not doing anything evil. Like if I'm not actually what going happened to you, I, I don't think I know what, how you got canceled. Uh, which time? Well, I don't know. The first time, the best one, the yeah. best one was when I opened, um, when I opened up the, I opened this cafe called burnout and I, um, 
Uh, it's a motorcycle cafe. And so we hired all this very young, woke staff, very young. And it was a mistake to hire all these woke staff because they didn't really jive with what was going on. But, you know, you the were, clientele? they, it wasn't that they, yeah, they just didn't, they wanted to work in a woke queer and they wanted to work in a woke queer cafe. And I wasn't creating a woke queer cafe. I was creating a motorcycle cafe that I wanted to be diverse, right? Because I believe in you know, that motorcycles, I'm not a Harley dude. I believe in like weirdness in motorcycles. So I wanted that to be reflected in my staff and I'm positive towards diversity too. It's one of the things that I aim for in my hiring policies. Anyway, so we hire, so we, so we set this all up. We did it all. We started to open it up and we were getting a lot of like, we weren't just jiving with these people that I hired. And so we did our first opening party and there was 200 motorcycles there. Right. And the cops show up, of course, cause there's 200 motorcycles there. And so the cop shows up and the cop that showed up was like, I love this. This is so awesome. Vancouver needs more of this. He's a motorcycle cop. He knew one of the people there. Like he was this, like friend of his grandkids and he was stoked. And so I'm like, I'm inside, I'm showing him inside and I buy him a coffee. Right. The next day I get an email about the history of police oppression of people of color from one what? of my staff and a th another one of my staff calls me up and says there was a photo on social media about, you know, with you and a cop in it. Right. Or, you're being nice to the police officer. Exactly. And so there's this whole conversation. I'm like, fuck. So I have a staff meeting. So I sit down and I explain to these kids. I'm like, look, here's the deal. It's not whether I like police or not. I don't particularly, but it's like, it's not that I hate that. Anyways, here's the deal. If I told that cop to fuck off, then he could have shut us all down. He could have shut this whole thing down. He could have parked a squad car out front. He could have cleared the whole party and he was being cool with it. So of course I bought him a coffee. And if he comes back, I'm going to buy him another coffee. Of course I am. <laughs> like it's just it, polite. It's polite and it's awesome. And like he was supportive. So of course next day they all, they all quit. No way. All four of them quit. And then they went online and started talking about how I'm pro cop. No way. Yeah. Straight up. So, then there was all these conversations because we were doing the pride run and we had this other group there, the leaders, which is a female writing group. And so they're all calling me up going like, what do we hear that you're pro cop? Like what's going on? And I'm like, are you kidding? Serious? Oh my God. So then I had to have, but that's what I'm talking about. Right? Like, it's like, it's easy to get canceled. And that was just, that was just, those kids were unhappy because whatever was happening in that cafe wasn't what they wanted to see. And so as my employees, I mean, and so even though I had a different vision than them, it wasn't jiving. So we were already having friction over that because they wanted it to be a queer woke cafe and I wanted it to be a motorcycle cafe. Right. And so they were having their own internal conversations around that yeah. about how to make it more queer and yeah. more less motorcycle, I guess. And I was driving it in a different direction. So it would have come to a head anyways. And that's how I ended up doing it. Yeah. But you got to deal with it, that right? Sucks. Well, it's just, it's part of the world now, right? Yeah. And then you're having these conversations with the pride rally being like, what do we hear? You're pro police. And yeah. I'm just like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Like, come on. I didn't know pride was anti-police. I, I, they were pride had, they wouldn't at that let, time. they wouldn't let, this was two years ago. They wouldn't let the VPD in the pride rally for a long time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They wouldn't let them have representation in there. And so it's, it's a lot of academia and it's a lot of like, but you mean like history hist Well, there is a history of police oppression of minorities and of the queer community a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's why a hundred, I mean, that's how pride started. It started from the, the, 
Stonewall riots, right? So there was like Stonewall riots because the cops came in and busted a gay club. I think it was in New York. And so they rioted about that. And that's where pride started from. Oh, I so didn't know. pride has a deep political anti-police beginning to it. A hundred percent. And listen, cops, you know, like I'm not saying they're much better now, but cops have a long history of beating the living shit out of people who they don't like. Yeah. And they didn't like gay people for a long time. I'm sure. Yeah. So so anyways, all of that is true. All of that does come from somewhere. All of that was a conversation and it's important to have those conversations like we're having right now about it. But at the same time, it's like, you didn't have to cancel me over it. Yeah. So anyways, you got to deal with that if you're a public person. Sucks. Well, it's part of the deal now though, right? I bought an original piece of LGP, LGBTQ. Did I say that right? LGBTQ? Yes. I, I, I bought that today. Oh. Um, like a, at your kid's thing? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the artist was 12. Amazing. I was actually super impressed. You know, she uh, was explaining it and she was donating partial, partial proceeds to, uh, um, you know, an awareness group that was bringing awareness to, she had an acronym. She couldn't quite remember what all the letters meant, but it was uh, super cute. And I think there was 10 or 25% of the profits going there. Amazing. Um, yeah. Well, that's great. Fired up. And that's great that we can have those conversations in elementary schools now, right? And include this conversation about the police and include it, how it's got a history and pride and why and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think that's really important. But we also got to recognize that we're all working towards the same goal, right? And there's people that aren't. There's people that really don't want LGBTQ representation and don't want the queer community and all that kind of stuff. And that's important to recognize who those people are yeah. as well. And you know, and I don't think I'm one of those. So, you know, it's, it's just, but I am a 54 year old straight white guy. So I do have to take into appreciation. That's the way I get viewed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to have that perspective. Yeah. And when, what, what was the other time you got canceled? Uh, I got canceled because, um, there's some cancellations that's happened with ex employees. So I've had people that used to work for me that then, you know, one of the people I fired, one of my social media people, and they didn't like getting fired. And so they went and caused up some shit and they got me canceled because they said I was engaging in tokenism. So I had a person of color who was in one of my social media posts and we made another quote too, that said, we're the most inclusive bar on main street. And so there was a bunch of conversation around that about whether I was engaging in tokenism and whether I was taking advantage of groups like that. Yeah. So yeah, so that was a whole online thing that so I had tokenism to is is using a person of color in your advertising exactly. to make yourself look good, right? Yeah, when you like, for example, if I, you know, at that point I didn't have any, um, I had very few people of color in my staff, and so we used a person who was in our restaurant that was a regular in an ad, and so she glommed onto that and made it and made a thing out of it, right? Um, but in that case too, like there wasn't any teeth to it just like with the cop thing. And so that's what I've been finding is that it's, it's easy to spit stuff out online. It really is. But it like when you get down to it and you start talking to me and it's like, Oh, David, like it's in making an implication that I'm somehow racist. Right. Yeah. And then you talk to me and you're like, Oh, like David's engaging in tokenism. Right. So he's bad. And then it's like, you talk to me and then you're like, Oh, there's no way this guy is doing that. Like forget it. So the proof comes out, but when it's out there online and you're getting lambasted, yeah. it sucks. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, with those those bars and cafes that you run and uh, the artist community, I mean, you're really in that world. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's not easy. 
and I hire like I hire I I have a diverse diversity hiring policy now that I've developed over the past couple of years. So like we have trans staff, we are queer staff, we hire people of color. Like, you know, I want a diverse, I want a staff that represents what the people of Vancouver look like. I made a decision a couple of years ago to do that. So now that's reflected in our hiring and that's one of the criteria that we use for hiring. So now we have a staff that actually I feel represents what the city of Vancouver looks like. And so, you know, when you start to venture into that as a 54 year old white guy, that's dangerous territory too. Right. Because then it's like, Oh, you know, what, what right do you have to come in and start saying things like this? Right. What right do you have to engage in this conversation? Cause you're not a person of color and you're not queer. So what, where, where are you in this and why are you in this? Are you just using it as something that, you know, you're doing to make money or something that you're doing to be more, you know, to, to better your bars. And so then there's those fucking conversations too, which suck. So yeah, it so, can't yeah. be easy managing the artists too. Cause artists are, uh, you know, not a flaky, but they're artists, you know, they're, they're, they're purely into their, they're passionate about what they do. They're not necessarily business savvy. Most of the time, um, they're often, you know, out there a little bit. The it, artists are better than the musicians were. Oh, you had musicians in your yeah. spaces too? No, no, the rickshaw. I ran the oh, rickshaw see, yeah. and then I owned this other place called the Hindenburg and I owned the Fox. The musicians were tough because the musicians were at a level where they had thousands of people actually staying there, worshiping them. The artists are like alone in their rooms, yeah. suffering. So they're a little, <laughs> they're a little more artists actually aren't that hard to manage most of my artists because I've got, what I had to do was establish really solid rules and really stick to them. And so like the rules are really clear and the rules are clear to all my tenants, my artists, all the artists, and we stick to those rules. Right. And so that makes it really easy. Like when you get a space with me, here's what the deal is. Simple. Here's what the rules are. Here's what you can and can't do. Right. And then Later on, when it, when they start to exactly like you're saying, when they're not business people and they're having a tough time with it, you can refer back to that. And then I just stick to it, right? Like when people want to get out of the agreement early or they want to, you know, use their deposit for their last month's rent or whatever it is, then I just stick to the rules and say to them, I'm really sorry. And, you know, that makes me a dick, but unfortunately it's the only way to deal with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I guess yeah. you have to be consistent. So you're fair to everyone else too. You do. And it's what I found too about things like leases. Like, I mean, you're in real estate. Like leases just seem pointless to me because every single person wants to get out of them. Like, <laughs> like I know yeah. I've had very few tenants I've given leases to that have actually landed, ended up at the end of their lease. Right. Like most yeah. people two or three years in, they're like, Hey, I want out. And you're like, then why did I spend a month negotiating this lease with you? We could have just done a month to month. Like, yeah. why are we here? So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> funny, but so you don't have them in long-term leases. It's month to month, they're all month to month. Yeah. Everyone. It's better. It's better for everyone. And it's actually better for them too. It just, it's scary for a lot of people. And I mean, as a restaurant, I would never do that. Yeah, of course. But, you know, for artists, it's way easier because then, you know, everybody, when they do anything is going to be there for the rest of their lives and then they get into it and life changes. So who's your like most common type of tenant? Is it a painter, sculptor or what, what kind of art is happening in there? I guess, yeah, it would be visual artists. It'd be yeah. drawing and painting Yeah, for sure. But it's all over the map. I mean, we've got people doing podcasts. We've got barbers. I've got ceramicists, you know, woodworkers and everything, everything, filmmakers. Yeah. Cartoonists, like all of it. That's cool. Like, like everything. I've got a guy making tiki mugs. 
Yeah. Right? Like, you know, like you name it. I've is it publicly it. accessible? Like if I went there, could I walk through and look and see what people are doing? The city center? Yeah. 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 You can cruise all the way through. And then usually like on weekends, like during the week, it's a little quieter. But on weekends, there's most of the people are there working and their doors are open. And a lot of people are there trying to sell stuff, too, during the week. Oh, during the weekends too. So you can just, you know, pop in and check it out. You mean there might be a door open and an artist in there selling their stuff? Totally. That's cool. hundred percent. I would like to go see that. Well, a hundred's a lot. So like there might be 80 open doors and 80 different things to look at. Yeah. Well, we do, um, we're doing these big events this year. We're doing the Vancouver farmer's market is doing this pop-up thing on the 22nd of July. And so we're going to do an open studio with that. So then what I do is I do a big promo with all the artists and then, um, we do an open studio. And so, um, the farmer's market helps support that by all their advertising. They're going to talk about the open studios too. And then we'll get like 50 people with their studios open. And that's when it's really fun to come down. Oh. Right. Cause then you can do that. And then during mural fest as well, which is, um, August 10th, the weekend of August 10th, that's going to be the same thing all the studios will be open and I'm trying to do another one for um, September, but it hasn't come together yet. So, oh yeah. 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 Cool. So that's a great time to come down. I'll oh, give no. you a heads up about that for yeah. sure. I would love to see that. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I think you're good at, you're good at that market, you know, those tenants and, and all those hundreds of month to month leases. But it, I think it's part of the value that you bring to your developer partners, your, your landlords, which is in this case, a developer, um, because they don't want to deal with that. I can no. tell you, they, they, they really must appreciate from you just a simple, straightforward lease. And then you are adding value to the community by providing these spaces for this artist and dealing with all of it, all aspects of it. Totally. And I mean, I work, like you're saying, I work as a placeholder for a lot of people. Like I have developers who just didn't want to deal with a headache. And so they gave me their buildings and they take no public credit for it at all. Yeah. And then there's people like Nicola Wealth who a hundred percent saw the value in it. Right. And then there's just other landlords too. Like I've got individual landlords who have owned a building, their parent or one, like their parents owned a building. It's been in the family for 30, 40 years. And you're right. They just don't want to deal with the day to day. They don't want to deal with the headache, you know, and I take care of that for them. Yeah. I just, I you know, it. I make sure they're paid. So, so what's the hold up with Emily Carr? Why a year and a half talking? What's uh, it's a big deal, I guess. It's probably a little bit politically charged. And they can't just give it to me. They can't just say, "Hey, David Dupre, here you go." Like, there's got to be a vetting process. And yeah, I've got to get my ducks in a row for them, mm -hmm. right? So I'm hoping what they've been talking about doing is doing a propose, doing a request for proposal or a request for interest. And so I'm hoping they come up with that, and then I can put together a proposal for them and show them what I can do because I've been in the past couple the past year gathering together all the support and all the team because I was worried other people were going to compete against me. So I've been contacting everyone in the arts community and saying, Hey, I'm going to do this. Do you want to support me on it? And so I've got, you know, we've been talking to a lot of the, the local bands. I've got this guy, Mike Weeb, who is a city councilor who's working with me on this. And he's been talking to a lot of the uh, indigenous community and a lot of the local bands about getting them in there. Cause I know having them included in this is going to be a huge, huge component and it's really easy to have their support, but I want them actually on site. So, you know, like there's lots of people who are just like, Oh yeah, yeah I'd love to take 10,000 square feet, but then they don't know what to do with it. You know, so I want to be working with them now to try to figure that all out so I can get them in there and actually using the space, actually using the space, yeah. right? Actually in there, using it, making stuff, selling stuff. And there's a lot of carvers that are using it right now because um, there's a lot of open outdoor space that the 
um, CMHC has given to a bunch of the indigenous community, but like capitalizing on that and figuring out how to get them in there and how to make them a major component of this. That's going to be a lot of conversation. That's not my conversation. Mike's dealing with all that. So what I'm hoping to do is put together this whole proposal and we've got one together right now. And so they're talking about doing a request for uh, interest on the 15th of this month. Wow. And I really hope they do it because they've been talking about doing it. And I know they've got a lot of stuff that they got to deal with on their end. And they have a lot of fear, right? Because, like, you know, heaven forbid I go there and turn it into a giant rave and squat it. and like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I can understand where that comes from because I'm a lunatic. So, you know, that's the last thing that, that they want. No, I know. I'm, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. But they but, can't let us sit vacant for much longer either. Otherwise, something's going to happen. Well, it's been vacant since 2017. Wow. And, and I've been through this with buildings before where... Eventually. Well, what happens is it gets a hole in the roof. You know, like there was that place, the, um, what was it called? There was that theater that was in the downtown east side that, um, there was a whole group that was trying to refurbish it and turn it into an opera hall live venue again, the Pentagius. Yeah. And so it was there and they were trying to save it and trying to save it. And it just, they worked at that for, I think like seven or eight years. Right. And then what happened was somebody dropped a parking meter off one of the adjacent buildings and it smashed through the roof and the whole place flooded. And then once that happened, it was worthless toast. Right. Yeah. Sad. And so that's what I think is going to happen here is that it's just at some point going to be unusable. Right. Yeah. And then it's just this massive lost resource Yeah. because it's there. It's the capital costs are paid. Like there's no need to build anything new. So it's, it's, it would be such a loss if that happened. So that sure would. So what my plan is, and I probably shouldn't say this because Tom and Sebastian from the CMAC will probably hear this, but I already told them I was going to do it, is I've got this plan. So if they don't come out with uh, the proposal, then I'm just going to release the plan and we're just going to go and send it to everybody. And so we're just going to send it to the mayor and send it to the MLAs and just share it with the van. There's a Granville Island board, share it with them and just start talking about it in the hopes that people will be like, oh, Hey, this is a great plan. When does the CMHC do it? And in that way, kind of force their hand. But I, I want to work with them. So I'd much rather not be the dick about this. My first idea was it was to actually squat it. <laughs> was to actually go break the doors down and just fill it with artists. I'm not kidding. And then what are they going to do? Well, that was it. There it was, was just 250 artists in here. Exactly. So I was going to get all these different artist groups together. And then we were just going to go bash the doors down and just take over for a day and just create all this art. And then be like, look, we're here. And then make it into a media thing, right? Yeah. And force the CMHC to actually do something. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're not going to do that, but <laughs> I, that would have been, that would have been now, crazy. Yeah. But it would have got it done. Right. And yeah. I think sometimes it's like my conversations with, about the city is sometimes you need to give a little push when it comes to government agencies to get them to do stuff. Uh huh to get them out of their minutia because yeah. that's really what, what we get down to with the city of Vancouver is they just get, and you know, this as a developer, they get so caught in their process. They get so celebrating the minutia of like getting from A to B. They forget they're supposed to get to B, right? Yeah. They forget that their goal here is to build a house or build a condo or whatever. And they just get caught in all this process and celebrate it amongst themselves so much that they forget, right? So I think it's really important for us to be pushing 
you know, and to be like, Hey, city of Vancouver, Hey feds, you know, like you're right. This building's been empty for too long. We need to do something. The trouble is the federal government owns it. So they're not paying, uh, uh, well, property tax. Do they pay property tax to the city? No, no. It's government land, government land, federal land, no property tax going to the municipality. So they don't have the same urgency that, you know, the other developers have. I think they've got, they got operating costs. Like it's costing them money to keep that building alive. Yeah. Heat and light and all that. Yeah, and the islands, money. you know, and they got to, you know, they got to pay, they got to clean the streets and fill the potholes and all the rest of that stuff. So yeah. they've got costs. Yeah. I just, you're right. There's just not like you and me, there's not like costs that are coming out of their check that checking account every yeah. week. Right. So I wonder, it's such a huge building. I wonder if they worry, if I wonder if they might worry about your ability to manage the building itself, the necessary repairs, that kind of thing. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, that's why I want to get into the conversation with them yeah, so that I can show them that it's not an issue. Would you ever partner on a building like that with a builder or somebody like that? Well, you brought that up with me. So thank you for bringing it up again. Um, I would, but I'd be scared, man. I mean, I'd be really... Whether the builder's going to squeeze you out in some way? My business model is weird in that I don't maximize my profits, right? Like, I could be getting more money for my spaces than I am. And I think that's a little confusing to you guys' side of the table of that, like, you know, why am I getting... $24 a square foot annually, annually or 20 bucks a square foot when I could be getting from an artist, when I could be getting, you know, 50 from a tech company, right? Like, why aren't you maximizing it? Why isn't that happening? Right. And there's a bunch of real reasons for that. Not just the Robin hood thing, like you're talking about. I mean, the one thing that I've found is that if you charge affordable rent, then you don't have as much turnover, right? Like if people can afford to pay what they're what they can afford to pay, then you don't have to deal with any of that headache of new tenants and you don't have to deal with them doing things like parties or living there and all the rest of the stuff. You can really impose a lot of rules if you're giving people a break. And if you're clear on that, if I say, Hey, I'm giving you a great rate, don't fuck around. And then they hear that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But if you're charging people an arm and a leg, then they're stretched and then they're like entitled, hey, entitled and exactly. So there's a real reason for it, but it's still at the same time, I think a lot of real estate agents or developers would have a hard time getting their head around that. Like, why am I charging 25? I could be getting 50, Yeah, you know? And so I don't, yeah. I don't for a bunch of, I do also for moral and moral, moralistic reasons. I don't do that as well because I don't think it's right. But, um, but also it's, it's a good viable yeah. business model too. Right? So you just worry that you, a developer or a builder partner just wouldn't get that. Wouldn't be interested. What's the upside for them if we're, if we're charging below market rents? Yeah. I, I mean, partnerships are tough, man. Yeah. You know, you've done them. They're hard. Right. And that would be a partnership. So it's like, you know, it's like, do I want to get into a partnership with somebody, something like this? Cause there's going to be weirdness in this Granville Island thing. Right. Like I'm going to be giving a lot of, not giving, but I, there's going to be a lot of people I'm going to bring into this that aren't traditional tenants, you know, like a lot of like, there's going to be a restaurant in there. There's going to be a, a, Brew pub, Opus wants to take 15,000 square feet. Like there's going to be some traditional tenants for sure, but then there's going to be a lot of weirdness. There's going to be a lot of people who you wouldn't normally be thinking of as a tenant, you know, no credit, no nothing. They want to do something really weird. And I'm going to be super supportive of that. Right. So what I a think a good way for a, for an artist to build credit though. I just, just thought of that when you said that, Yeah, you know, they have, they might have no credit or bad credit and they come in and pay you on time for 24 months and 
and we give a reference, we give rent receipts. Yeah. Yeah, Just, you know, so yeah, but I'm just saying like, I don't want to be arguing. Like I want this to be weird. Like this really needs to have a vision and the more people that get involved in that vision, what I've found when you're doing anything that's creative like this, and this will have a lot of creativity to it. It, it starts to become problematic if there's too many cooks in it. Right. So I, I'm just hesitant around all that, you know, but I'm not against it. And I think maybe that's like what we talked about. Maybe that's what the CMHC needs to see. Maybe they need to see me partnered with a developer who gives legitimacy to me. Right. And then that gives them the confidence to be like, Oh, David's got, you know, key backing him. So we believe that he's going to be able to pay for this and he's not going to, maybe it's not a builder developer. Maybe it's just a financial backer so that they could rest assured that if uh, David's running it, that, uh, you know, if, if it was decided that a patch wasn't adequate and the whole roof needed to be replaced or something that you could write that check or somebody could, Oh, they would lend me the money. Like the bank would say, yeah, we'll give you the two. Well, if you have a a backer, yeah. In the development world that happens all the time, there's a small developer doing a big project and they, that small developer goes to a big developer to kind of like underwrite the construction loan. For that, they charge a fee, usually a percentage of the loan amount. They don't actually do anything, uh, but they're there officially, legally, kind of in the background backing yeah. the small developer. Totally. Uh, so they charge a fee for that. The, the small developer does everything. And, and 99% of the time, it's just money wasted, call it, on, on, on the insurance policy. But it got them yeah. the construction loan they wouldn't otherwise get. Similar kind of thing. Yeah. And that may be exactly what happens. Yeah. I mean, I need to get into this process with them deeper so that I can figure that out. Yeah. Right. And figure out how much money it is and what they want done to the building and all that kind of stuff and really start having a conversation. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I mean, it's a business deal in the end, right? So if that's what it takes for me to team up with somebody to get it done, then I'll, you know, I'll do it for sure. If there was somebody listening who, who thought they knew someone or had some interest in, you know, getting involved in a wacky deal like that, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, well, I've, I mean, are we allowed to talk about phone numbers on this thing? You can do whatever you want. (laughs) It's your phone number. Well, they can call me, you know, at, uh, they, you know what the best thing to do is just go to my website. It's the narrowgroup.ca, and that's got all my projects on there, but it also has the contact information. So that's the best way to get a hold of me for sure. Yeah. And they can just send an email to the general email and I'll get it. Absolutely. Or they can contact you and you can give them my phone number. That's no problem either. I mean, I talk to everybody. Yeah. So it's really not a problem. Yeah. Well, I, I hope somebody's listening that can make this happen. Cause I hate that yeah. big, beautiful building sitting up yeah. there's, there's not enough reasons to go to Granville Island. It needs to that be dead space doesn't help. No. And it could be, I mean, the vision I have for it is just so easy. So it's vibrant. Just, well, it's just like, you know, if I can create it and do all the hallways and paint them all up and if I can tenant it with like the tenants that want to be active in selling stuff, like right there on the main floor and then include a bunch of like, you know, a bunch of shops and a bunch of stuff to do. Like you could wander through that just like the market and spend an hour there. Right. So it'll add to the whole Granville Island experience in a way. Right. And just bring more vibrancy. Like you're saying, it's just, and for me, it would be, it'd be easy. Like it would be freaking easy. Like it wouldn't take me anything to do it. No, you could do it for sure. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Hopefully they give me that. But in the meantime, you know, I mean, it's, it's like any deal, like maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. So I'm not putting all my, 
you know, hopes and prayers into it. Um, right now though, I am trying to do another building. There's another place that I'm negotiating with somebody on right now that I'm hoping I can land another 15,000 square foot building. And that's really where I've done really well at is just taking these empty buildings that are either in flux or have licensing issues. You know, like there's one place on, um, Broadway that I took over that had been empty for years because it was, uh, storage. Right. And so there's no way to do a change of use into anything else. Gyms had tried to get it, all these things had tried to get it, but it was 15,000 square feet. So doing a change of use would have been impossible. And so I got the lease on it and did it. And it's, you know, been there for seven years. So I'm hoping to, there's another place right now that I'm talking to that's having the same kind of issues where it's storage and doing a change of use is impossible for anyone. And so I'm hoping that they'll uh, give me a lease on it. Yeah, I, I hope do it, it again. Sounds like it's it sounds like it's much needed. You're zero yeah. percent leases up almost instantly. Yeah, instantly. Like city center, we I can rent a place at city center out in under an hour. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> get a wait list probably, right? Well, we don't even keep wait lists because it's just so few and far between when we actually get a space. How do people? How does an artist listening get on the wait list? Narrowgroup.ca. Yeah, if they just send us an email at narrowgroups.ca, then we can let them know if there's anything available. So that's cool. Yeah, it's fun. But what I'm really hoping, like I was talking about before, is that some other people get the idea, like some other artists, some other creatives get the idea that they can do what I'm doing and not have to stress about the city. Like that's really what I've tried to talk about a lot and try to get people to do. I mean, you can't do it obviously. And if you're building a restaurant, you can't do it. Cause like, you know, you have to get certain licenses to be able to open. But if you're doing an artist space, an art gallery, if you're doing like, you know, even a party space, like there's people doing event spaces in Vancouver. Now you can do all of those and you don't have to worry about the permits and you don't have to wait for the city. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about before about Vancouverites and them being rule of law abiding and all that kind of stuff. Like everybody here is waiting for the city. All the artists are waiting for the city to help them. And like, oh, the city said this and the city said that and the city's going to do this and give us this money. I mean, we're not like if you're waiting for them, you're dead because you know how fast the city moves. It takes seven years for them to build a fucking building. So what on, why on earth are they going to like support an artist in any kind of timely fashion? So just do it. And if the city catches up, I think that's amazing. And I think that would be how we would change the art scene in Vancouver is by people just doing it. You know, just going out and just saying, I want to do a show. I want to do an opening. I want to do whatever it is. I want to do, you know, I want to do SantaCon. I want to do something and just doing it and not worrying about whether there's a permit or not. Yeah. And so that's really what I'm hoping a lot of the younger kids, the entrepreneurs pick up. Yeah. Because there's, we're just so embedded here in money and in like process. And if we can just leave that alone for a minute, we can get a lot of cool shit done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh. I hope, I hope you're right. I hope that happens. I think the city knows and sees everything. And I think they're watching. They're watching. Um, they're watching. I don't mean in a creepy way, but I've been innovating in real estate and investing in things that have had, um, you know, they don't fit inside the box of what's been done before. So more than once in the past, some level of governance has reached out um, and said, you know, we're, kind of not saying that stop, but we're not saying what you're doing is properly governed right now. Um, but we're just watching, you know, and kind of learning through the process. It's a lot of, if it comes up with, uh, technological innovations and different approaches to things, 
So I think they watch insofar as, um, you know, the public is safe and nobody's being taken advantage of and everything seems legit that they, they learn from industry, frankly, half the time or more, you know? Yeah. I think that's exactly how they're supposed to learn. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is that if we're waiting for the city to do something, then it's, it's kind of the the cart before the horse. Yeah. They can't solve the artist thing. It's going to be the entrepreneurs. Well, I love being with those kids today and the passion of the the young, young entrepreneurs and and their fire to totally create, invent, solve problems. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I don't see any of that as being competition, right? Like there's like, we're a big enough city that we can have multiple people doing this, doing different versions of the same thing here and not be competing, right? Like it's the free market economy. It will help sift through that. Like if too many people are opening up, you know, pottery co-ops, then the pottery co-ops aren't going to be able to afford to do it, right? Because they won't be able to get there enough people to do it. But if there's thousands of people that want to do it, then great, right? Like let's not put a limit on it. Let's just go out and let the market figure it out. Yeah. Right. And that's why I'm not worried about the artist spaces. Like I would love more people to do it. Cause it'll just raise awareness and raise more artists and make my life, my conversation easier. Cause I won't be the only one fighting the city. Then we'll have 10 people fighting the city and then we can actually make some changes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> some colleagues. Yeah. Some <laughs> colleagues. In the, there's a couple, there's a couple out there right now who are doing it pirate style like me, but there's a bunch that aren't, that are doing it super legit through proper channels. And so, so Yeah. You know, it's, it's different directions and like, you know, nobody's at the scale that I am, but, um, but yeah, it's, there's, there's some people that could, that could, and I'm trying to, I'm like, do it, go. (laughs) Well, if they're out there listening, just do it, man. I love what you're doing. I appreciate it. I love artists. I love weird. I love you. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It is fun. It is. And Vancouver digs it. That is the thing about Vancouver. We are conservative, but when there's a light burning bright, we are attracted to it for sure. Like when there's weird Vancouverites are like, Oh, that's weird. That's different. And then they zero in on it for sure. Absolutely. Weird is awesome. Well, good luck, man. Good luck in the battle. You're the Pied Piper of uh, renegade landlords. Oh, inspiration just, to many. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> I'm the only one that's stupid enough to do. No, this. I know of others, not in the artist space, but I have a good friend who's doing it in the uh, student housing space too. Anytime there's a need, a real need being solved, I think again, the cities, the governments are watching and so long as life safety is fine and that real needs being solved. Uh, I don't know if blind eyes, right word, but they're just sort of letting it happen. That's cool. That's actually really good to hear. Yeah. That is because I, like I said, I don't have any contact or any conversation around any of that. So I'll, I'll connect you guys. We just, well, cause we just do it in our silos. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like how would I know somebody's doing renegade student housing? I think that's amazing. Yeah. But like, you know, unless I'm looking for student housing, that's never going to pop up. In yeah, the world, totally. So. Well, I'll connect you guys. Well, you guys should definitely have coffee. That's cool. That's awesome to know. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks for coming. That was fun. Thank you. Let's uh, let's reconnect soon and, and let me know how it's going. Anything I can do to help with the, uh, that big one on Granville Island, I'd love to help. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's you. Like if you can think of anything that you can do to help, it's more that. Cause like, this is a new thing for me. Yeah. Right. You know, like, so, so yeah, I'd love to just keep the conversation going. Well, let's figure it out. Yeah. Awesome.